Welcome to the 59th episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we discuss murders that intrigue us. I'm Mercedes. Thank you for listening to last week's episode where Cindy and I discussed Rhode Island's youngest serial killer, Craig Chandler Price. Our show is often horrifying and graphic, and we will use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. Also, we are passionate and always have been about true crime, but we must warn you, sometimes we're going to make jokes and laugh during our podcast. Want to learn more about us? Visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com to find links to our social media pages. We drop a new episode every Friday morning. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you don't miss out. Thanks for listening. If you are even slightly entertained by our Southern charm, please leave us a five-star rating along with a comment. And if you're not super enthused about it, please reach out to us and let us know how we can improve. We appreciate any feedback we can get. Also, please recommend our podcast to your friends and family. Let's share the love. Hey, everybody. Cindy won't be with us this week. She and her husband both tested positive for COVID-19. So here I am all alone. Cindy and Loveaboy, I pray that you get well soon. And I hope that your love for each other grows over these next few days a forced quarantine in your tight little nest. I love you guys. And to the rest of you, happy new year. I'm just going to jump right in. I come up with my ideas usually by searching newspapers.com. I picked New Hampshire, my last state to do before we can start all over. New Hampshire in 2005. So the first article I found was rather cute and I really want to share that with you. So let me share that with you first. July 24th, 2005, the Sun Journal conquered New Hampshire. Inmates at the New Hampshire State Prison had an unexpected visitor, a blue parakeet that flew into the fenced yard seeking a friendly hand to land on. Prisoners created a makeshift cage for the bird out of two electric fan covers, but the bird was later taken home by a friend of one of the inmates. The parakeet had been dubbed Jailbird, and prison officials are trying to locate its owner. The bird has a tag around its leg and is described as having a bright blue belly white face, and black markings. Cute story, huh? Well, just beneath that article was another one that was not so cute at all, and it announced that Robert Lopez had been charged with second-degree murder and the death of 19-year-old Brandy Bernard, who was two and a half months pregnant with their child. This was another terrible instance of domestic violence. According to the article, Robert Lopez, 35, was accused of second-degree murder in the death of his 19-year-old girlfriend, Brandy Bernard, an autopsy found Bernard died of multiple blows to the head over 30 times in the head, 36 times altogether. She was also brutally kicked in the stomach over and over again. Well, the day after that article ran, July 25th, 2005, all hell broke loose because the media revealed that this hadn't been Lopez's first media spotlight appearance. As a matter of fact, he had just gotten out of prison for another act of domestic violence. One of the headlines shouted, the man accused of killing a Manchester woman last week spent more than a decade in prison in Pennsylvania for stabbing a previous girlfriend in 1994. Apparently, he had just gotten out of a Pennsylvania prison in January, only eight months before, for attempting to murder his former girlfriend, Libby Williams. Libby Williams received a call from her mother the same day that the article ran, and her mom told her, you're back in the news. Libby was only 16 when she first met Lopez at a Bethlehem Walgreens in 1992. He was walking out of the store with a number of items that he shoplifted when he ran into the lovely green-eyed girl and he fell instantly in love. Theirs was a whirlwind romance. Lopez was charming and giving, energetic and loving, and Libby fell for him hard. But it wasn't long before her Cinderella romance turned violent. 
He accused her of cheating on him. He tightened her leash and interrogated her every move. He hit her, threatened her, and accused her of sleeping around. He constantly berated her for what she wore, when she went to the store or anywhere else, who she talked to, and how she looked at people. Libby said that she always looked down when anyone else was around. She always tried to make him happy, but she couldn't make him happy. She, she always disappointed him, and then he would hit her. But she loved him so much, so she tolerated the abuse. And then he would always cry afterwards because he was sorry for hurting her. She lived like that for a while, but he was a thief and supported himself by stealing and dealing drugs. So he was always in trouble with the law. It wasn't a surprise that in 1993, he went to jail for four months for stealing a bike. You know, because he's living that thug life. While Lopez was in jail, Libby gained confidence in herself and was relieved that she no longer had to deal with Rob's toxic violence. She decided then that she was going to end their relationship. As soon as he was released to his grandparents, she went to his grandparents' home alone to break up with him in person. She felt safe because the grandfather was there, but this was a false sense of security. When Libby told Lopez that their relationship was over and they were standing in his kitchen, Lopez became enraged. In an interview with The Killer Within, Lopez said that when he heard her say it was over, he told her, is it? Is it over? He told the interview that the monster in him awoke. He said that to him, a breakup was a betrayal. He said that Libby was his property, and if he couldn't have her, no one could. He then told Libby, you're not leaving here. He picked up a rusty old kitchen knife and viciously stabbed her 13 times in the face, neck, head, stomach, arms, and hands before his grandfather was able to pull him off of her. She told the interviewer for The Killer Within that she was stunned because she was never, had never in a million years thought that he would ever try to kill her. She said it took her a minute to realize that he was actually violently stabbing her. She said that she was stabbed just under her left eye, the seven-inch blade plunging through her eye socket and coming to rest in her lower brain. Surgeons had to remove the broken blade from her skull and brain. She would have died had his grandfather not intervened and pulled him off of her. The grandfather got in the middle, got him off, and said, get out of here, get out of here. And Lopez actually left the room. He left the house. And then he said... Before he knew it, he's like, no, I'm not going to let her live. And so he turned around and he went back and he started violently kicking her in the stomach a few times before his grandfather was able to stop him again. Honestly, this woman is lucky to be alive. She was in a coma for a month and hospitalization for four months afterwards. Doctors were afraid that she'd lose her left eye, but it's now back to 2020 vision. Doctors also reconstructed her eyelids using tissue from her ear. They repaired an artery in her neck using one from her leg. She had to relearn to speak, walk, and use her hands. She told the reporter, I don't remember how to hold knives, forks, and spoons. Libby was 30 at the time of Brandy's murder in 2005, and she did numerous interviews with reporters. To one reporter, she said that she knows what poor Brandy was feeling at the time. I know that poor girl's fear, what she felt at that moment. William said Lopez attacked her when she tried to break up with him. He just accused her of cheating on him, she said. On the episode of The Killer Within, Lopez said some unbelie unbelievably scary stuff. I mean, he is scary as fuck. In the interview, Lopez bragged about being a bad boy living that thug life. I mean, literally, you can watch this interview. I found it on IMBD. Anyway, he admitted to brutally beating his girlfriend, well, his best friend when he was younger with a baseball bat. He said, I don't remember what he, he did to me, but if somebody does something to me, I got to hurt him. And until I see them really hurt or dead, I won't stop. You have to watch this episode and watch this jerk. 
to get the full effect, honestly. Of course, you know, he blamed his violent criminal behavior on his parents. He said that he was raised in a dysfunctional family with lots of violence and no love. I mean, boo-hoo, aren't a lot of us. Anyway, he said that his dad left him when he was young, moving back to Puerto Rico. At 14, Lopez visited his father in Puerto Rico, where, he said, his dad taught him how to cook heroin and how to inject it into his veins. In addition to blaming his father for his addiction, he blames his dad for his violence against women. He said that his dad taught him to take care of business when necessary and not to ever let a woman betray him without repercussions. Lopez, of his mom, said that she raised all of her children as a single mom in Newark, New Jersey, and she was really nice on the outside, but really a mean old lady. And I mean, he dragged those three words out. He complained that she was cruel to him, and it was always my way or the highway with her. I mean, it is her house, isn't it? He said that she would call the cops on him. I can't imagine having this kid, this guy for a son, knowing that he's a danger to society. You know, I mean, it must have been hell for her to love her son and know at the same time that he's a predator. But let me say now, right now, that she's not at all sympathetic to him. When New Hampshire authorities realized that Brandy Bernard's murderer had only been out of prison for eight months, they had a lot of questions. First, why didn't they know that this violent offender was in their city? Shouldn't he be on parole? And after some searching, they saw that in August 1994, Lopez didn't take the chance of going to trial for attempted murder on Libby Williams. Instead, he took a plea deal that allowed him to plead guilty to aggravated assault. As part of the plea deal, attempted homicide charges were dropped. He was sentenced to five to ten years in jail. That is it for stabbing a woman about her head, face, and neck 13 times. Libby Williams, every time he went up for parole, would write a letter to the parole board. I told them he'll do it again. She said that she was terrified for her life. She said that she told them it isn't right that I get a life sentence and he gets to walk. Lopez was refused parole three times, but he was sent twice to halfway houses for rehab, said the Pennsylvania Board of Probation and parole spokeswoman, Leanne Hallfast. He did violate his parole condi conditions both times, she said, so he did go back to prison until he completed his full 10-year sentence. After that, the state parole board has no power over prisoners. Once someone is maxed out on the sentence, no criminal justice agency has the authority to hold him. He was free to go anywhere he wanted without reporting to anyone. Libby and her mom were scared to death, so they packed up their shit and they moved out of Bethlehem when he was released. They were afraid he'd come after Libby to finish her off. They didn't need to worry, though, because when he was released from prison, he moved to Manchester, New Hampshire with his sister Bruni and her boyfriend Matt. They offered him a place to stay as long as he got a job and worked toward getting his own place. It was a fresh start for him. For work, he went to the labor ready where he met a beautiful green-eyed girl, 19-year-old Brandy Bernard. You know, he said in a very creepy way on that documentary, A Killer Within, he said, I like green eyes. Anyway, he and Brandy fell in love with each other instantly and they had a whirlwind romance. He got out of prison in January after serving a 10-year sentence. He met Brandy in February and by March, they were living together. By July, though, she was dead. So what happened? Much like Libby Williams, Brandy fell hard for Lopez. She ignored many red flags. One of the major red flags that she ignored? She knew that he had just gotten out of prison for domestic violence, but he didn't tell her the extent of it, and she didn't bother to look it up. He did not say, oh, I stabbed my girlfriend viciously 13 times, nearly killing her. Instead, he said that Libby lied and he was framed. 
Brandy's mom said that Brandy was naive and loved him so much she believed him, and she wanted to give Lopez a second chance. She believed everyone deserved a second chance. This was a mistake, and Brandy realized pretty quickly that he was abusive. According to her mom, Brandy called 911 several times on him for various acts of violence. During the interview I watched, Lopez told the interviewer that his blood boils when he hears Brandy's mom say that he abused her because he never laid hands on Brandy. However, in his very next sentence, he said, well, one time I choked her. Well, I didn't choke her, but I put my hands around her throat and pushed her against the wall by her neck. I mean, come on, dude. You also admitted on camera to violently throwing shoes at her. Court documents state that he often threatened to crack her skull, kill her, and hurt her. Brandy told her mom, and her mom said, come home, get away from him. And that was her plan. But then she found out when she was pregnant, and she wanted to make things work for the sake of the baby. It was also around this time that Lopez's mom invited Brandy, her mom, and Lopez to Newark, New Jersey for a family gathering. There are pictures of this online. Um, they, it seemed like they were having a great time in the backyard, like a birthday party or a barbecue or something. And they were all hanging out, Lopez's family, they're all hanging out in the backyard. Brandy's mom and Brandy were called inside by Robert, Lopez's mother. Inside, she told Brandy and her mom that her son was violent and he had served time in prison for trying to kill his ex-girlfriend. And Brandy's like, no, he didn't try to kill her. It was a frame job. Well, then Robert's mom showed her the article about Libby being stabbed. She told Brandy that for her and her baby's safety, she should leave Rob. Lopez said that after they returned to Manchester, things changed between him and Brandy. Said after the New Jersey trip, she had the devil inside her. He said that Brandy broke up with him, moving out of their apartment back to her mom and stepdad's home. I don't even know if he ever knew that his mom said anything to Brandy. Brandy's family and mutual friends witnessed his abusive, erratic behavior. He stalked Brandy and accused her of cheating on him. Once, he was riding shotgun in Brandy's friend's car when all of a sudden he became so enraged about the baby not being his that he threatened the dash by slamming it with his fist. He told the friend that he planned to kill Brandy for cheating on him. Members of Brandy's family heard him threaten to hurt the baby. They heard him threaten to crack Brandy's skull, and they heard him tell her that he hopes the baby would be born with mental retardation. They would have major fights, and the things would cool off, and they were back on again. She had moved back to her mom's, but he called her, crying. He needed a place to stay for a week, and he begged Brandy to take him back. She cried to her mom to please let him stay. He didn't have anywhere to go, and he's the father of a baby, the love of her life. Brandy's mom gave in, and Robert was allowed to move in for a week only. Now, I'm going to share with you the court records of what happened, but first, a word from this episode's sponsor. Hey, everybody. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about this week's sponsor, Best Fiends. As you all know, researching criminal cases is my passion, but even I need an occasional break. So when I feel like I need to escape to a simpler world, I always turn to the mobile puzzle game, Best Fiends. If you haven't heard, Best Fiends is a puzzle game that you can play right on your phone. Each level has challenging puzzles that you have to solve, and they actually engage your brain. No worries at all, because this is a casual, relaxing game that anyone can play. And it's really, really fun. See, Best Fiends are these adorable little characters who are tasked with saving a minutia from the slugs who are rampaging across the land, rounding up Best Fiend families and glooping up the countryside. This is a vibrant and creative world with almost 40 unique fiends in the Best Fiends world. Even better, new fiends are added all the time. My goal is to collect them all, so I always check the newest additions to the family. This week, let me tell you about Vincent. Vincent is a melancholy moon gazer who specializes in nighttime air raids. That is, when he isn't bumping into light bulbs. 
If you need strategic air support, Vincent is your guy. I mean, he's your mom. Anyway, I love finding a new favorite character to spotlight each month. Best Fiends updates the game monthly with new levels and events, so it never gets old. So, true crime-loving listeners, join us and the millions of others who love this app. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Welcome back to the show. So I found the following information from State versus Lopez, and some of it is a little bit repetitive, so bear with me. The record supports the following facts, and I'm reading this verbatim. In January 2005, the defendant met Brandy Bernard at Labor Ready, a temporary employment agency in Manchester for which Bernard worked. Bernard and the defendant began dating in February 2005 and with a month had moved in together. According to various witnesses, the couple often argued and during their arguments would scream, yell, and engage in name-calling. Also, Bernard's friend testified that on one occasion, while he was driving the defendant to work, the defendant stated that Bernard would sometimes make him very angry, and he punched the dashboard of the car, cracking it. Shortly after their relationship began, the defendant became very possessive and began regularly checking on Bernard's whereabouts. A source of the defendant's possess- possessiveness was his jealousy over Bernard's relationship with a former boyfriend. The defendant's co-worker testified that the defendant stated that if he ever caught Bernard cheating, he would kill her. Other witnesses also describe various instances of the defendant's hostile or threatening behavior toward Bernard. In July 2005, Bernard told several friends and family members that she wished to end the relationship. Also around this time, Bernard disclosed that she was pregnant with the defendant's child. Shortly after stating that she wished to end the relationship, Bernard broke up with the defendant and moved out of the couple's apartment and into her mother's home. Over the ensuing days, Various relatives helped Bernard move her belongings out of the apartment. On one such occasion, she and the defendant argued, and the defendant stated that he wished Bernard dead or that her baby be born with mental retardation. Bernard, in turn, insulted the defendant. Eventually, the argument ceased, and the defendant helped Bernard move. Within a few days after moving out, Bernard, believing the defendant had no place to stay, asked her mother if the defendant could move in with them. The defendant was permitted to move in for one week, during which he and Bernard shared a bedroom. For the next several days, the relationship between Bernard and the defendant was generally good. On Saturday, July 21st, 2005, Bernard and the defendant were arguing in the bedroom they shared. At some point during the argument, the defendant went downstairs to the kitchen and retrieved a hammer. He then returned upstairs and beat Bernard to death. A later autopsy revealed more than 20 blows to Bernard's head and face, which fractured her skull, as well as as other blows to her chest, arms, hand, and stomach. Here I interject and go off of the court record and talk to you about the interview that I saw uh, where Lopez actually tells his side of the story. Lopez stated that Brandy came home from work and she kept calling him a Puerto Rican spick. He said that this enraged him, and he went downstairs to leave, but the hammer caught his eye, and the devil inside told him to pick up the hammer and go back upstairs to kill her. Never, like, taking responsibility. He said that he hit her in the head and body a few times until she fell and slumped over. At that time, he said, I grabbed her by her hair and just kept hitting her in the head. 
Then I kicked her in the face and told her, I told you so, you fucking white bitch. You fucked with the wrong one. He said he left the house and drove down the road a bit. By the way, he's in her car. He drove down the road a bit before turning around, driving back to her house, getting out of her car, going back into the house, going under the kitchen sink where he hid the hammer, getting the hammer, taking it up the stairs to go hit her a few more times with the said hammer. For the final hoorah, he violently kicked her in the stomach a few times, you know, to make sure that she and the baby were dead. After killing Brandy, Lopez left the house, passing Bernard's stepfather on the way. So they kind of like their cars pass each other. Her stepdad got out of the car and later he told investigators that he didn't notice anything out of the ordinary, except that Lopez seemed to be in a hurry as he drove off in his stepdaughter's car, even though he didn't have a driver's license. Lopez had driven to his sister Bruni's house where he changed his shoes, leaving his blood splatter boots behind. He then drove off in his sister's SUV without her permission. And when she realized that her vehicle was missing, she called the police. Then she immediately called Brandy's mom because she noticed the bloody boots and she also noted, noticed Brandy's car in her driveway. Brandy's mom immediately left work and drove to Bruni's house. When the police arrived at Bruni's home, Brandy's mom told them that she believed Brandy could be in trouble. Officers inspected the blood on Lopez's boots and other officers were dispatched to Brandy's mom's home where they discovered Brandy's body in the fetal position in that bedroom. They noticed that she had been brutally beaten with violent force. The walls were blood streaked, blood splatters were all over the mattress and the walls. The hammer was eventually found hidden beneath the kitchen sink under a bag and a box of cleaning supplies. Investigators, investigators also found a bloodstained t-shirt at the bottom of a laundry bag. Lopez told the interviewer that he had driven back to his sister's house to take care of her boyfriend, Matt. He was still full of rage at this point, and he said that he didn't like the way that Matt was talking to Bruni and her children. I mean, what the fuck? This dude is a jerk. I mean, he can abuse Brandy and Libby, but Lord forbid somebody else mistreat his sister. By the way, none of that was corroborated. He said that no one was home when he was got there, and all of a sudden, his need to kill Matt just went away as quickly as it rose up. He decided that he was just going to take his sister's truck to his mom's home in Newark, New Jersey, to say goodbye to everybody, you know, before he goes back to prison. When he got to his mom's house in Newark, New Jersey, he was met in the yard by his aunt, who asked him why he had killed Brandy. According to court records, Lopez told his aunt that he had no regrets, absolutely no regrets about killing her. His brother, who happens to be a Newark police officer, was in the house waiting for him, and he called the cops as soon as Lopez got there. Shortly thereafter, Newark police arrived and arrested him. A couple days later, on July 23, 2005, two officers from the Manchester Police Department traveled to Newark to interview Lopez. At that time, he waived his Miranda rights and confessed to the officers. In October 2005, he was indicted on one count of first-degree murder. At trial, he admitted that he had murdered Brandy, but he argued that he acted impulsively and not with premeditation and deliberation. I mean, he didn't plan it, maybe, but he went back in, unhid the hammer, took it back upstairs, and continued to do what he, what he started. However, the jury disagreed, and he was convicted of first-degree murder. He did file an appeal, which did follow, but the higher court upheld his conviction, and he sits in prison now. During the documentary, he showed off one of his prison tats. 
the inside of his forearm, from the bend in his elbow down to his wrists, he has these letters in calligraphy. T-B-F-W-F-W-O. Those letters stand for the bitch fucked with the wrong one. Brandy's mom, of course, was devastated by the loss of her daughter and by the horrific way in which she died. Her mom told a reporter that she often goes to Brandy's grave at dusk, playing her favorite song, Brandy, You're a Fine Girl. I would sing it, but I don't know if that would be respectful to Brandy. She said that she'll sit at the grave, listen to the song, she'll talk to her, and she'll ask her questions like, Brandy, why didn't you run? Why didn't you call 911? She also mourns the loss of her grandchild, who was never born, and the injustice of it all. The state of New Hampshire did not charge Lopez with the death of the unborn baby, because at that time, New Hampshire did not have a law for that. Brandy's mom lobbied New Hampshire lawmakers for a fetal homicide bill that would make it a crime to kill an unborn child during the commission of a crime. A version of the bill became law and went into effect only three years ago, January 1, 2018. Now, murderers can be charged with homicide on an unborn child if the death was brought about through criminal activity and if the unborn child is at least 20 weeks, which would not have been the case in Brandy's child's case. Lopez is currently at the Northern New Hampshire Correctional Facility serving his time. I can only pray that his life is a misery every single fucking moment from here on out. This guy is bad. I can't, I just, he gives me the creeps. Mrs. Bartholomew, Libby Williams' mom, said, I'm not a capital punishment person, but if they do let him out, God help somebody else. He will kill again, by the way, if he gets out. She doesn't need to worry about that. Lopez's earliest date of release is September 1st, 2105. So he'll die in prison. Society is safe from this monster anyway. He's a violent, predatory killer with no emotion, and hopefully he'll never, ever see the light of day outside of prison. So that, my dears, is all I have for you this week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's murder, and hopefully Cindy will be back and feeling spunky and ready to go next week. We do appreciate sharing our passion with you, and we thank you for your continued support. If you'd like to support us even further, please consider subscribing to our podcast and giving us a five-star rating with a comment. Your subscription and ratings are essential to our success. And you can do this on your favorite platform. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. We thank you, Patreon supporters. Also, you are the extra. We are so grateful for you and all of you to spend our time together to share our murderous stories. Thank you again for your support. And please recommend It Wasn't Me to your true crime-loving friends. That's it. And thanks again, guys. Remember, it wasn't me.